welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. in Jonah chapter 4 this morning. You can go ahead and start turning there. Well, I'll spare you all the details, but when I was in 11th grade, I took an AP English class, and part of this class was we got to go on a trip over spring break of uh, the end of the year. We went to Cherokee, North Carolina, and we were working with some students there to learn about their culture, and they were learning about ours. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't learn a single thing through any of that. That's just to be completely honest. But what I do remember from that trip is I remember the free time myself and my friends had. We'd have free time, and because we were staying in town and close to downtown, our teachers had said, as long as you're in a group of two or three, you can kind of roam town. Here's your boundaries. It didn't take us very long to find our favorite place in town to hang out as a touristy town. Our favorite place to hang out was where they had put a mechanical bull in a parking lot. And we would we would ride this, and we would We'd compete with each other and we would watch each other and we would make fun of each other. Well, one day we're standing by this mechanical bull and here comes our teacher, Miss Moore. Now, we loved and hated Miss Moore in a different way. You know how you guys know how those AP teachers are, some of you do. And so we began to beg her, like, Miss Moore, you're such a cool teacher. Please get on the mechanical bull. Please get on there. She's like, No, I'm not going to do that. And so we started to beg even harder, like, We will pay. We will pay. And we finally talked her into getting onto this mechanical bull. So she gets on there and I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't until this. Mechanical bulls have like this, this lever, and it goes from like 0 to 100%. And whoever's operating the mechanical bull, whoever's doing this, can kind of pick how much they want to do. And I would guess probably most people get between 25 to 50% full power of this mechanical bull. Well, she was sitting up there, and she was um, you know, riding this bull, probably 25% power. And that was fun for us for about... 30 seconds. And then we were bored with that. And one of my friends, Justin, walks over to the mechanical bull operator with a crisp $5 bill and drops in the, chip, the tip jar and says, throw her off, because we were good, lovable kids like that, you know. And so he did. He cranked it up to about 60. She went flying. Everybody laughed. She pretended to laugh and all of that. It wasn't very much later that that same friend of mine, Justin, was on the mechanical bull. And like, like Batman swooping out of the darkness, here comes Miss Moore with a crisp $20 bill. You guys know the old saying, hell hath no fury like a woman who's been thrown off of a mechanical bull, right? And she walks over to uh, the guy who's running it and drops that $20 bill in the tip jar and her word were this hurt him (laughs) to be fair there's nobody in that group of friends that hadn't thought the same thing about Justin at that time he cranked that mechanical bull to 100 not only did it throw Justin off it threw him up in the air as he was coming back down head first the mechanical bull turned around and hit him in the head and knocked him across there which we all cheered about and laughed about now what I learned that day is that justice feels good Like when justice is served, when somebody gets what they deserve, it's something that we celebrate. And we as people, like we, we love justice, don't we? We love it when somebody gets what they deserve. We love eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, a tip to a mechanical bull operator to a tip for a tip to a mechanical bull operator. But what I've noticed is we always love it when they get what they deserve. We love it when those people get when they deserve. But when it comes to me, I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. 
but I'll celebrate somebody else's judgment in that. And that's what we're going to talk about today because there's a problem with people of Christ when we can say, we love God's mercy for us, but we demand God's justice for others. If you're just joining us, you're catching the last Sunday of a series called Fish Grace. We've been going through the story of Jonah, which I have I've just absolutely loved because I learned Jonah as a young man in, in Sunday school, and I've never studied it since then. But Jonah is this awesome story about a man and his fight with God's heart, how his heart and God's heart don't exactly meet up. Just a quick overview if you've never heard the story. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to them. Jonah doesn't want to do that, so he runs away. Jonah is then thrown into the ocean through a series of events, swallowed by a giant fish. We believe that to be a literal event, by the way, and then spit out on dry land in which Jonah says, okay, we'll try it your way now, God. Last week, we looked at Jonah going to Nineveh, and he gave them this message that God was going to destroy Nineveh because of their sin within 40 days. But something happened at Nineveh. As these people heard this story, they immediately believed God, they feared God, and they repented of their sins and moved away from it. And in that, God relented of the disaster that he was going to bring on him. God said, you know what? Never mind. You guys have returned away from your sin. Now that should be the end of the story because like that's a good way for the story to end. God's going to destroy the city of 120,000 people and kill them all because of their sin. They say sin is bad, we won't know more. And they turn away from it and God says, you know what, keep going. But there's one person who's not happy about this. And that person is Jonah. Jonah is not happy that God is giving grace to them, even though God has given his grace to Jonah. So up to this point in the series, we've said this, that our response to God's grace should be our repentance, that we should repent of our sin because God has given our grace to him. But today, what I want to talk about is the effect of God's grace on us is that we should be able to value and extend grace to others. If you've got your Bibles open, read with me. We're going to read the first uh, five verses of chapter four. So God has relented of this disaster. This is where we're picking up. Verse four, or chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. So, so God grants mercy to Nineveh. He says, I will not destroy this city. And Jonah is mad. What is Jonah mad about? He's mad because God has spared them, because God is not at this moment raining his wrath down on their sin. And Jonah had this expectation that God might do this, even though he had a desire for God's wrath and judgment. And this is where we see the main problem with this individual Jonah in the Bible, is there is a disconnect between Jonah's heart and God. God's heart. Jonah is not on the same page with God. God is a God of, of mercy and love. And yet Jonah, Jonah wants God to be a God of punishment and wrath. And he knew God's heart and he was scared that God would extend this mercy to these people and he didn't want it. And this is where we learn new information. When Jonah ran away in chapter one, before he was swallowed by the fish, he finally tells us, the reason I ran away is not because I was scared. It's God because I knew you. I knew you would give them mercy. I, I knew what you were going to do and I didn't want that. 
I didn't want to be a part of the mercy and grace conversation. So I ran away. Now, my question when I was looking at this is why, why is Jonah so judgmental? Why does this matter so much to him? Why, why, why does he care about these people? And to be honest with you, there's nothing but speculation. The text doesn't say why Jonah doesn't like them. Some people speculate that somebody Jonah loved may have been killed by them. Some people just talk about how evil the Assyrian Empire was and that he was just judgmental and he just wanted that to, to be punished. I, I think after I've studied it, it may be similar to how you and I as Americans may have viewed terrorists after the 9-11 attacks. Did they attack me personally? No. Did it affect me personally when I was in eighth grade and that happened? No. But our whole nation said, these people are the enemies of our country. We want them punished. And we went to war for that. And so maybe in the same way, maybe Jonah just sees this evil empire that is close to him. He's felt the effects of it, if not personally, but as a countryman. And his heart is angry and bitter, and he wants to see them punished. And mad, he is mad that God does not look at, it, <clears throat> look at it the same way. So your first take home truth this morning is bitterness and anger within us, bitterness and anger, begin with a disconnect from God's heart. Jonah here is bitter and anger, angry, even though he knows God's heart is graceful and merciful. They're on two different pages. And the problem with this, when we're talking about Jonah, is up to this point, the whole story has been about how Jonah has failed God, how Jonah has sinned against God, how God has given Jonah grace. He has loved him through his sin. And now Jonah says, I like that grace for me, but God, I don't want that grace for others. I want you to excuse my sin, but I don't want you to excuse the sin of others. We get a lot of our entertainment values from Greek culture. You know, the thing that we do where we sit down and we're glued to the TV for hours a day and, and we watch people act out scenarios that didn't really happen. That comes from, from Greek theater. And um, the actors in Greek theater were called Hippocrates. That was the name for actor at this. And that literally means somebody who interprets from underneath. And the reason for that... The reason they call them that is actors at this time would have their persona, their character displayed by wearing a mask that had the characteristics of that particular person. That's how you distinguish when you went to Greek theater who was who, is they wore a mask. So what you had is you had somebody who had two different identities. They had an identity underneath that was really who they were, and then they had a forced identity above. This word and this concept is where we get the English word hypocrite or hypocritical. It's somebody who is one thing underneath, but they have a mask of something else. What Jonah is doing here is he's being a hypocrite. He's saying, I love and I worship God's grace. We saw that in chapter two. He writes this like whole prayer out about how much he loves God and how you can turn to God and worship him. He says that on one side, but on the other side, he puts on this mask that says, I love grace. But then when it comes down to it, he hates God's grace on other people. So I have to ask myself sometimes, is that true of me? Is that true of us? Your second take home truth is this, is to accept God's grace and deny grace to others is hypocritical. To accept God's grace and deny God's, or deny God's grace to others is hypocritical. Now this is where we get into like really deep theology. Most scholars believe based on this scripture that Jonah was very likely a member of a small Baptist church in Arkansas. I'm glad y'all laughed at that. I didn't know if that was going to land or not. That's a joke, but like most jokes, it's funny because it's somewhat true. 
Some of us are a little bit mad that I would say that. Like, like no, Brian, we're, we're perfect. But there's a lot of us in here is going, yeah, I've seen that in church. I've seen people that want to come worship and sing about Jesus. And they talk about grace and they talk about forgiveness and how great it is to be forgiven by God. But then they turn around and they have no grace and no forgiveness for others. That's something that, that I think we struggle with. And I think that's what God speaks to us today is that we are not to be like Jonah. We are not to be hypocrites. If we claim grace and have none, if we claim grace and have none, we are not representing God well. And I want you guys to know this, and, and I'm not talking to you personally, I'm talking to you as the church, as Christians. I want you to know the overwhelming view of people from outside church is that you are someone who praises God for mercy and does not give grace and mercy to others. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe it is. Throughout our history, we've given people reason to think about that. Jonathan Swift was a satirist from the 1700s, and he wrote this to mock the hypocrites in church, this little poem, and said that this is sometimes the way we live. It says, we are God's chosen few. All other will be damned. There's no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven too crammed. And I wonder if sometimes we live like that. We come to church and we can't claim God's grace. We worship him. But when we leave here, who we really are under the mask is somebody with no kindness, no gentleness, and no mercy. And we celebrate the hurt and the punishment and the justice on maybe a group of people. Maybe the sin that is like the particular thing that I hate the most maybe a different church or a different set of individuals, but I think where this comes down to us today and where it really matters is how we treat someone personally. Someone who has personally hurt us and personally wronged us. You might say they personally sinned against us. That they, they did something that we feel is unforgivable and, and we hold on to this grudge and this bitterness and we hate it when they're happy and we sit around and we wait for them to get what they deserve because of what they did for us. Now, if you feel convicted by that, I want you to know that somewhere in this room, there's a married couple who had a fight on the way to church, and they're more uncomfortable than you at this exact moment. Like, like sometimes that's how we treat people. But I want you to know that this is not the heart of God. And it's not right for us to judge people out of the grace that we have been given without also extending that grace. Listen, listen to how the Bible connects forgiveness, grace, and mercy that we receive with how we give forgiveness, grace, and mercy. This is from Matthew 6. It says, For if you forgive men, neither, or for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ephesians 4 says this. It says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. I want you to notice those are both New Testament uh, verses. The New Testament connects our forgiveness from God to how we work with others. The message is simple. The message is this, is that if you receive God's grace, you have no reason, no why to deny grace to someone else, to treat them like they don't deserve it. And to do this, to be away from God's heart, to not extend the same grace that he extends to us, this is a sin. We talk about sin like it's the big ones. Like, like, like who are you sleeping with? How drunk did you get? Did you steal something? But most of the sin that really affects the people in this room is the sins of the heart. The ones that are kind of private and not seen. Anger, bitterness, pride. 
It's just a sin the same as the outward sins. And listen, sin comes with consequences. When we live in sin, when we walk in sin, there are inherent consequences that come with that that affect us. That's why God chooses to protect us from it. Not only does sin send us to hell, sin creates a personal hell right here. And so what we're going to do is, as we look at the rest of this story, we're going to look at what sin does to us, the sin of bitterness and anger and holding grudges. Your your third take-home truth point A is bitterness and anger will become self-destructive. Bitterness and anger will become self-destructive. You look at Jonah, and he's mad at Nineveh. They deserve punishment. They deserve to be punished. They deserve God's judgment. They deserve God's wrath. And he has all of this anger, and he's pointing it at them. But what happens is it comes back on him. You see Jonah three times in this, in dealing with this Nineveh situation, three times in the book of Jonah, he tells people, I would rather die. I don't want them to be happy. I don't want them to be forgiven. I personally would rather die. So listen, your anger... And your bitterness, while aimed at somebody else, will ultimately come back and hit you. I've got a picture coming up. It's a a lot like this. I will personally buy this handgun for anybody that wants it. Um, There it is. If you don't understand guns, let let me tell you. That's meant to be aimed the other person, but it's aimed backwards. And that's what bitterness and anger and frustration and grudges does is we point it at somebody else, but what it automatically does is it turns around and it hits us. It is self-destructive. We desire destruction brought on others because of what they've done to us. We desire for them to be punished. But in a moment's time, who it really affects and who that anger and destruction really hits is us. The second thing that we see here, uh, 3B, take home truth 3B, is bitterness and anger will become the focus of your life. It will become the focus of your life. For Jonah, everything stops. In the moment of his bitterness and anger, everything in his life stops. He doesn't go to see family. He's not doing what God called him to. He's not even enjoying life. He says, I'm going to sit on this hill until God, you destroy that city. I'm going to sit here and wait for you to pour out your wrath. I'm going to wait for them to get what they will deserve. And he sits there waiting for something that will never come. See, bitterness and anger, if left unchecked, will become the focus of your life. It'll become the most important thing to you. It will encompass you in every single way. And with that, it brings this consequence that it will steal your life away from you. Now, I want to be clear. Uh, Jonah is a very important person. Like, I love you guys. I think you're very special. Not a person in this room has God ever decided to write a chapter or a book of the Bible about. But Jonah has his own book. Jonah's mentioned other places in the Bible besides just here in the book of Jonah. Now, most scholars believe that Jonah probably wrote this book about himself because it has an overarching negative view of the person of Jonah. Everywhere else in scripture that Jonah is mentioned, he's mentioned in a positive light. So scholars believe that very likely, very likely Jonah is telling his story and he's telling you what a jerk that he has been, what he has done. See, Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. He had this job from God. God literally spoke to him. Like he heard God's voice and God would be like, hey, I have a message for you. Go deliver it to my people. But in the moment of anger and bitterness, what does he do? He refuses to do his job. He refuses to have a relationship with God. He refuses to do what he's called to do. And he throws his life away, waiting on punishment for somebody else. Now, you may not be Jonah, You may not have the same calling as Jonah, but for every person in this room, God has a purpose for you. 
That purpose may be serving your family. That purpose may be serving in church. That purpose may be serving at work. That purpose may be just being an example in the way that you love and serve others. God has a purpose for you. And it is the greatest thing in the world when you step into what he calls you into. But be warned, anger and bitterness will steal that from you. It will keep you from fully stepping in to God's promises and into what God wants for you. The third thing we see from Jonah here is that anger and bitterness will leave you lonely. Anger and bitterness will leave you lonely. Jonah separates himself from everybody. He doesn't just say, I'm going to wait for this. In his anger and his bitterness, he is caused to kind of pull away from everybody, even from God. God asks him a question. Jonah, is it right for you to be mad? And Jonah doesn't even answer him. He pulls away from everybody and everything away from everybody and everything, rejecting everybody, even God, as he focuses on his bitterness and his anger. See, this is the truth. Anger and bitterness steals something that you need. Human beings need community. You need church. You need family. You need friends. You're designed that way. God designed you to need other people. But what anger and bitterness does is it steals relationships from you. Number one, because you will push people away in your anger and bitterness. Uh, this last weekend, I, I, went to, uh, I went to Deer Camp, and Deer Camp is the happiest place on earth. I don't care what people say about Disney World, it's Deer Camp. But I was down there, and it's a family Deer Camp, like it's all, all people that are related, and I'm part of an extremely big family, like I'm talking 200 people, like I'm deer hunting with people that are like my sixth cousin. And one of the people that has been there all of my life, I ask around, is like, he used to like live here, like he, he had the dogs, he had all of it, like he had special vehicles he left just at Deer Camp. He was here when nobody else was here. He was here by himself a lot of the time, and I haven't seen him in a long time. Where is he at? And so they began to tell me the story. They said, well, a couple years ago, he divorced his wife. There was some drama there. I don't even know what it was. And because he and his wife were both now part of the family, members of our family continued to talk to her and love her and support her. Not picking sides, but just out of love. And because he was so angry and bitter at her, he saw this as a denial of his family to love him because they would not be angry and bitter with him. And so he pushed them away. The place that he loves the most, he won't come to anymore. See, that's what anger and bitterness does. Is it causes us to push people away either because we don't want to be around them or it causes us to push people away because they won't be angry and bitter with us. The other way that this causes loneliness is, I'll just be honest with you, nobody wants to be around the angry, bitter person. People will begin to avoid you if all you have to do is talk negatively or about a grudge on other people. Now, the problem with that is, is that this is one of the self-destructive effects of sin. People literally cannot live in isolation and loneliness. The American Cancer Society says this, says that isolation brings people to a 30% higher chance of stroke and coronary issues. Another survey said that loneliness will bring about the same effects as smoking, obesity, and lack of exercise. I heard old saying one time is that hating someone is like drinking poison, hoping that it will kill them. And what science is telling us is that's true. If we live in anger and bitterness, it will have an effect on us. So we see the end of result with Jonah is he has this expectation that if God will just judge these people, if they will be punished for whatever slight they have done to Jonah, he will be fulfilled. But we see Jonah here who is left empty and alone. Now, the undercurrent of this entire story has been this disconnect between what God wants and what Jonah wants. Jonah cannot get on the same page with God. He doesn't see people the same way that God does. He doesn't love them the same way that God does. And we see the consequences of that above. And maybe, 
maybe, possibly, the answer to that problem, if you find that in yourself, and let me just say, I've got my hand raised. This is something I struggle with. Maybe the answer to that is if our disconnected heart from God causes us to walk into these sin or side effects and these consequences of sin, maybe getting our heart right with God, maybe getting God's heart recreated in us is the answer. So let's look for just a second at what this scripture tells us about God's heart and specifically how God deals with Jonah, who is a personal sinner against God. Verse 2 tells us this, that God's heart, this is from Jonah himself, by the way, that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. He is abundant in loving kindness, and he relents from harm. Now, Jonah doesn't like this because it's all the opposite of bitter and angry, but it's an alternative route for us to choose. We can choose bitterness and anger and grudges and judgment, or we can choose grace, mercy, love, and kindness. It's our choice. So let's talk about mercy and love for a second. Just number four, you're on your take-home truth. Mercy and love will, point A, cause us to deal gently. I think verse four of chapter four is my favorite verse of the whole story. Jonah is behaving like a, tan- like a, a, a child having a tantrum. He, he, I mean, just throwing a fit. I'm not getting my way. He's stomping his feet up the hill. He's saying, don't talk to me. He, if there was a door, he would have slammed the door. And what does God do? God comes to him. Not in judgment, not in anger, not in hatred. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't strike him with lightning. He asks him a question. He said, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Let's think about this for a second. Let's put some things into perspective. My daughter is three years old, and she is the epitome of a three-nager. And as, as her parents, we are, we are trying our best to, to shape her and mold her and move her in the right direction. And sometimes that includes punishment, and sometimes that includes discussions. But one of the tools that we use a lot of times is when she's doing something, is we begin to question her. Uh, my wife is a kindergarten teacher, and her favorite words, which I hate when she says it to me because I'm a grown man, but we use it on our daughter is, are you making a good choice? What are you supposed to be doing? And, and the reason we ask those questions is not because we want her to tell us because we don't know, is we want her to mentally process through what should I be doing and why am I choosing not to do it? That's what God is doing with Jonah here. He's saying, let's step back for a second and let's think through this. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, didn't I hear you when you cried out from the belly of the well? Didn't I give you grace and mercy when you disobeyed me? Didn't I give you a completely new start when I came to you again and said, okay, let's try this again? Jonah, is it right for you who've received these things to be angry? And I think God is probably asking us the same question this morning. With whoever or whatever situation we've dealt with, God is asking us, is it, is it right for you? Brian, is it right for you to hold a grudge after all the things that you've done that I've forgiven you for? Brian, is it right for you to be angry at that person or judge that person in their actions after the way I've chosen, chosen not to judge you? Is it right for you to be angry? Let's continue to look at how God deals with people as he deals gently with them. If you'll read the rest of the chapter with me, this is verses 6 through 11. It says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. 
So Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a venomous east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than live. Then Jonah said, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on a plant, which you have not labored nor made to grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Next take home truth is that mercy and love will point B, will cause us to serve. Cause us to serve. God is looking at Jonah who is just being just unlovable at this moment if we're honest. There's nothing more unlovable than somebody who is having a tantrum. And God looks at him and he says, you know what? In the midst of this, I'm going to meet Jonah where he's at. God didn't wait for Jonah in the city and say, hey, I'm down here with my people in Nineveh. You can come back and talk to me. God went to where Jonah was and he served him. As Jonah sit here, God prepares a plant and gives Jonah shade. He gives him this opportunity to experience the goodness of God, and he's later going to use that as an illustration for what it looks like when, when there is no plant there. And when the plant is gone, he once again, he gently asks Jonah, is it right for you to be mad? Notice something different. The first time that God asked Jonah this, Jonah doesn't answer. He just storms off. But after God has served him, after God has met him where he's at, as God continues to pursue him, the second time we see Jonah answer. Not a very godly answer, but that is, that's progress at least. This tells me something about God's heart, is that God pursues people and he serves them and he gives them good things, even, let me take that back, especially when they don't deserve it. God will serve those who do not deserve to be loved. Now, I call myself a Christian. If you're here, I hope you do too. And what Christian means is to be Christ-like, that we try to live our life in a way that God lived his when he was here in human form. And here's what we see in this story. What we can hope for ourselves from the story is that God's heart for us can change our heart. That if we can focus on who he is and how he loves us, that it can move us from bitterness to mercy. And if you've got somebody you're thinking about this morning, let me tell you that this is possible. Because your first thought is, I'm not serving that person. They cut that cord. They burned that bridge. I would never serve them. But if you want your heart to reflect God's, a lot of times it begins with the actions, and then your heart will follow. See, sometimes we think backwards. We think that our actions are determined by our heart. But in truth, a lot of times our heart is determined by our actions. If you don't believe that, talk to anybody who has kids. The more you take care of a child, your love for them grows. Not because they're giving you anything back, not because they deserve it, but because you serve them. Talk to anybody who creates anything. If you spend time creating something, your heart will go into it. It will mean something to you because the actions were there first. For, for kids who love sports, I have never met a kid who loves sport the first time they played it. It's only after they've invested time and they've gotten good and they've learned to compete that a kid will love that sport. Marriage is the same way. The secret to a good marriage is serving your spouse. You feel like you don't love your spouse anymore? Go home and serve them. 
bring them some food, do the dishes, tell them how much you appreciate them. And over time, what will happen is your heart will begin to follow the actions. And if you can't start anywhere else, and I can tell you, this is from the brown coats, getting rid of bitterness, you know, epitoire. If you will begin to pray for people, just pray for them. I prayed a lot of prayers. God, I don't like them. I can't stand them. God, I'm praying for them. That's all I know to say. And that grows into prayers for God, heal their relationships. God, help them find a job. God, give them friends. God, give them you. And it will change your heart in a moment. And the bitterness and the anger will begin to fall away and you'll begin to have God's heart. The last thing is mercy. Um, grace and mercy. Grace and mercy will create in the, us the ability to pity. That's point city. Point C. Uh, pity, a lot of times, is a word we don't like. Like if you said, Brian, I pity you, I would be very angry at you because we think that pity means, like, I feel sorry for you because you're so far beneath me. But what pity means in the Bible, what it means here, it means to have a heart of deep compassion for them, to look at them and have a feeling for them. It, doesn't des- it describes, uh, it describes the, our heart for people that we look at. Now, I love the way that God talks about the people of Nineveh here. God does not talk about the people of Nineveh like, they're so great, I had to save them. God kind of insults them a little bit. He's like, Jonah, don't you think I should have pity on the people of Nineveh? He said, that don't know their right from their left. What does he say? Jonah, don't you understand? They sin because they are dumb. They sin because they, they don't know better. And this is the question that I believe God has for us is can we pity people the same way? Maybe, maybe we can look at someone and we can say it's not their fault. They just didn't know better. Maybe if your parents were bad, they just didn't know any better. Maybe if your spouse is hard to live with, it's because they're broken from something in their past. Maybe that person who said that thing doesn't understand how words can hurt. Maybe they lied to you because lying was a way of survival for them growing up. Maybe they belittle you because they were belittled, and the only way they know to feel significant is to compare themselves to others. Maybe it wasn't them you saw. Maybe it was the drugs or the alcohol. Maybe they hurt you because they were a victim first. So what happens is God will create in us this heart instead of seeing actions, we'll see the cause of their actions. Jesus came in love, if our musicians want to come here, Jesus came in love to this place. He did nothing but serve people. He talked to them gently. He served them. He met their needs where they were. I have this, this picture of, of Jesus' compassion in his face, and, er, of his face. And all of those things led to one thing, is the people that he loved brutally murdered him. And as he's laid on the cross and people cheered and they mocked him and they laughed at him, what does he say? He looks up to God the Father and he says, God, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. That is God's heart for you. That is God's heart for the person who hurts you. And that is the heart that God has for us or wants us to have for others. So this morning, I want to give you a challenge. As I've been talking, there's probably a face in your mind. There's probably somebody you're thinking of, and that's God telling you, this is the person to forgive. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. 
If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, RamseyHeightsFamily.online.